Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. This podcast is designed to offer insights, best practices, and innovative solutions for the challenges facing Hoosier cities and towns. Each edition will offer ideas and inspiration while showcasing the talent and commitment of Indiana's local leaders. Enjoy the program. Welcome to Ames Hometown Innovations Podcast. I'm Matt Greller with AIM. I'm joined by Lindsay Moss uh, as well. Here today to talk a little bit and have a conversation about CARES Act and the money that's been allocated uh, by the state back to cities and towns throughout the state. As you've heard, probably uh, you all received a, an allocation some months ago to use for coronavirus-related uh, expenses, uh, PPE, some of the Easy things came up first, but now we're into the uh, the last few months of eligibility for that money. We've been working hard with the governor's office to expand or loosen some of the restrictions on those dollars so that they can be put to use where they're needed the most. Uh, we've got some really good news to share with you today, and we'll get into that in just a, a minute. Uh, but to set the stage, I guess, just a little bit further, we all know that, as I mentioned just a, a few seconds ago, you received an allocation from the state. $300 million was given to cities, towns, and counties. Each city and town, in our case, received a prorated share of that $300 million. Very little of that money has been spent to date from a statewide perspective, and it's caused some issues. It's been uh, asked of us and asked of you, I'm sure, why those dollars have not been used as of yet. Uh, is there not really a need? Uh, etc. And I guess the, the easy answer is it's always uh, simple to say, well, we could buy $100,000 worth of hand sanitizer, but that's not really where the dollars need to be used. Uh, we have serious revenue shortfalls coming. Uh, the coronavirus money that came from Congress was pretty specific that it could not be used for revenue replacement, but uh, that's where it's needed. And that's what we've been advocating for and advocating for some expanded uses of those dollars. We've got more uh, ability now to use the money where it needs to be. So, Lindsay, let's just jump right in and, and talk a little bit about that. Uh, maybe start back a few months ago when we initiated conversations with the governor's office and, and where that's led to today with uh, the governor issuing via the Office of Management and Budget new guidance. A few months ago when the governor announced that he would be allocating $300 million of the state's um, allocation from the CARES Act for local governments. Obviously, hugely appreciative of that. Um, about half of the other local governments across the country are in states that didn't share their portion of the CARES Act money with their local governments. So obviously appreciative of the governor setting aside that money for Indiana's local governments. but. It did come with some pretty problematic strings at first that were set at both the federal and the state level. As you mentioned, Matt, it obviously um, and clearly can't be used for revenue replacement. And there were other restrictions on the use of the money as well. And even more so than there were restrictions, there were a lot of questions left unanswered for the, the past several months by Treasury that has made the state really uncomfortable in terms of loosening any restrictions because the last thing they want is for the federal government to come in a couple of years down the line and say, hey, 
remember when you use that CARES Act money, well, you weren't following the letter of the law and we're gonna claw that money back. So they were taking a very cautious approach to the rollout of that program. We've appreciated, right, Lindsay? I mean, this has not been an adversarial relationship uh, or discussion with Chris Johnston and others in the OMB and the administration. It's been very, very positive, in fact. I think we appreciate their caution to protect us on down the road as well. You feel the same about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's been clear from the outset that they do want local governments to have the ability to use that $300 million for COVID expenses. Lindsay, we haven't talked too much about it or as much as we probably should have, but the, the task force the governor put in place that's helped allocate these dollars has been really important. You know, Becky Skillman, former lieutenant governor, former local government official, former state senator has been fantastic along with the other members of the task force. Uh, but she's been assigned to work with us, work with local governments, and has been a real advocate, I think, for the importance of local governments in the response to the pandemic. So it's, I think it's important to acknowledge her work uh, on that front as well. Um, so let's just get right to the meat of it now, Lindsay. Late last week, and you're just receiving a word early this week that the governor has announced that some additional expenses are eligible with the allocations we received. In particular, uh, the dollars can now be used for, for public safety, which is a huge win, I think, for cities and towns and counties, for that matter, uh, in Indiana. So talk about the specifics there, Lindsay, and what, what that means and what it'll look like. I think initially this was probably the biggest area where there was a lack of clarity coming from the federal government in terms of how these funds can be used. But there was a big group of stakeholders on the federal level, including the National League of Cities, the National Counties Association, the National Governors Association, and others who collectively asked Treasury and the Office of the Inspector General, which is also under Treasury, to clearly put out guidance once and for all on how these public safety expenses can be reimbursed, if at all. So that guidance did come, I think, September 21st, um, and the state has moved quickly to allow Indiana's local governments to be reimbursed for all payroll costs for public health and public safety employees um, if they fall into certain categories. Police officers, firefighters, emergency medical responders, um, and those who directly support such employees such as dispatchers and the supervisors of those dispatchers or those police officers, firefighters, etc. So this is their entire payroll cost going back to March 1, 2020, and initially through September 30th of this year, uh, but technically those funds are eligible to be used all the way through December 30th for public safety payroll costs, but they're asking units to prioritize the public safety costs starting from March 1 first. Lindsay, we were on a couple calls with some of our membership late Friday last week, and let's talk about it just from a practicality standpoint. So this means that literally going back to March 1st, that a city or town can presume that most, if not all, public safety-related payroll costs can be reimbursed from their CARES Act allocation. 
with proper documentation, right? Yes, yep, that's correct. Um, administrative positions like the accounting or business operations aren't eligible to be reimbursed, but all of the other public safety uh, officials are eligible to be reimbursed. And, and it is, you don't have to prove that they were directly responding to COVID-related calls. It's just their entire payroll costs. The only thing you need to submit to document it is, you know, their payroll records, HR records, their timesheets. However, you document that already, um, that's what's going to need to be submitted to the state to be reimbursed. So direct supervisors, EMT, firefighters, police officers, it covers the entire gamut. Yes. I don't want to belabor that point too much, but I want to make it so that you all understand that it's a big, big win for us and it should allow everybody or just about everybody to use their full allocation. I think the other important piece to remember here is we're looking at how to use this allocation is don't forget the cloud that's hanging over this entire conversation is in 2022, your income tax distributions are going to take a significant hit. So everything we're doing now is planning for that event here in about 12 to 13, 14, 15 months uh, to make sure that we're as well prepared for that dip in revenue as possible. There were some other goodies, I, I think, in the announcement that came last week too. It's not just public safety. Uh, but there are some other areas, small business grant program, family and medical leave issues. Uh, Lindsay, you want to talk about those as well? Sure. The IFA in their guidance um, that they just released, they are going to be prioritizing the public safety payroll costs, and they're going to put those first in line for review and reimbursement. But there are several other important areas that um, we had asked them to roll back the restrictions and they did. You already mentioned the mandatory paid family and sick leave policies that were required under the Families First Coronavirus Relief, Relief Act, the FFCRA. Um, those expenses will now be reimbursable in addition to providing grants to small businesses, interest and administrative costs associated with issuing tax anticipation notes, unemployment insurance expenses that were incurred if you're a reimbursing employer and you haven't otherwise been reimbursed by the federal government for those expenses and expenses incurred to remarket convention facilities and local tourism so they really broaden this to to more closely mirror what the federal guide guidance was already allowing in theory but now the federal government has backed up that guidance with clarification that gives the state some comfort that they're not going to be audited in a harmful way in the future. Very positive development here for the remainder of the year. The deadline though to use your allocation is still December 30th, right? Yes, it's the eligible expenses are from March 1 through December 30th, 2020. Good enough. So again, uh, thanks to the governor's team and everybody that uh, worked so hard on this. Certainly appreciated. There are some, uh, and we've been saying this for a while now, there are some minor actions you need to take place to get this ball rolling if you haven't done so already. There's a certification letter that uh, has to be done through the IFA website and some very basic things like that. So if you haven't jumped onto the website and started that initial 
uh, process, do that now and get that out of the way and then start to work on your, your reimbursement strategy. I would also say that if you have questions, which I'm sure they will be coming, uh, what are eligible uses? What kind of documentation do you need? The IFA website is a great place. We've pushed out all that information via our various channels and we'll continue to do so. But if you have questions, make sure to send them to us. Uh, you can send them to Lindsay at LMOS at, at aimindiana.org or to me at mgreller at aimindiana.org. Uh, happy to continue to build that frequently asked questions database, particularly as it relates to this topic uh, as we move forward and, and continue to, to work. So let's shift gears just a little bit, Lindsay. We've talked about what has happened at the state level and, and how well that's going now between now and likely the end of the year. Congress, though, they, they seem to have hit the pause button, it looks like, until at least through the election, and now they're uh, dealing with the Supreme Court nomination, et cetera. But what do you foresee happening with additional relief packages for the pandemic uh, once Congress reconvenes, probably after the election sometime? Do you think we'll see new money back to the states and, and ultimately to us? Well, um, it has definitely been a wild ride this summer um, in terms of the negotiations that President Trump's administration has had with both Republican leadership and Democrat leadership in the House and Senate. The House and Senate Democrats both are very committed to providing additional relief to states and local governments through direct aid. There are some Republicans that are also willing to provide more direct aid to states and local governments, but this discussion is all wrapped up in the broader negotiations about whether there's going to be a next stimulus check, whether there will be liability protections for businesses and local governments and states. And I think it's very unlikely, as you noted, that they will be able to get something done before the election. And I do hate to predict <laughs> what will happen at all, but there is also broad bipartisan support for loosening the restrictions on the existing CARES Act dollars, even more so than they are now, and also some bipartisan support for an additional round of funding. The biggest hang-up seems to be what that exact dollar amount will be. So more to come there. And, and I would advise our membership, if you're maybe of the opinion you should wait it out to use your existing allocation to, in hopes that maybe more uh, restrictions will be lifted or the use is expanded, that's a tricky, I think, step to take if the date remains December 30th that you have to use the money. You probably run the risk of not having access to your full allocation. So be cautious, I think, when it when it comes to making those kinds of decisions. We've probably got as much as we can get uh, here in the short term. So with that, um, again, the guidance documents as much information as we have is uh, on all the normal outlets from AIM. You can also check the Indiana Finance Authority website. That is a, your best uh, starting point, probably. You can call Dan Hugie at the IFA for, for help. You can call us, certainly reach out to us to provide additional assistance. 
Last thing, uh, Lindsay, we've got a legislative session coming up. Uh, we won't get into the, the full details of that here. We'll save that for another time, but any COVID-related items that we should discuss and, and make everybody aware of why we have their attention here on the podcast today. Well, I think one idea that I think we've received quite a bit of interest from members of, as we've been talking on roundtables and, and other calls is extending the ability to do virtual meetings beyond the current public health emergency. Um, exactly what that looks like, I think remains to be seen, but it does seem like there's pretty broad support for giving some more flexibility and allowing technology to have a role in public meetings and hearings. Yeah, that's exactly what I was hoping you would you would talk about. So good to hear. Uh, thanks again to the governor's team. I just can't say that enough for the, the work they've been doing with us over the last six months as we've all gone through these interesting times. Thanks to our team, I think, and thanks to the membership. It uh, goes to show you what a, a little positive uh, persuasion can do to help uh, get things to where they need to be, and especially this CARES Act allocation uh, where we need to have it and, and hopefully it can be best utilized uh, at the city and town level. So thanks for tuning in to the AIM Hometown Innovations podcast. Uh, look forward to catching up with you again sometime soon. Thanks.